Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this song that we've just heard that reminds us of your mercy. Lord, we are grateful for the great mercy that you show in our lives. I pray that you would bless now the effort to preach your word these next few moments. I pray that you'd use it, Lord, to speak to our hearts. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. James chapter 2. As you're finding your place, I'll just remind us very quickly as to what we looked at last week. We looked at verses 13 or verses 12 and 13 of this chapter, and we watched as James encouraged his readers to live like men and women who would one day stand before the Lord, because that is exactly what was going to happen to them. They were going to one day stand before the Lord, and as Rachel just sung, uh, James encouraged his readers to live a life of mercy a life of kindness and a life of compassion because James said if we have gone through this life showing no kindness, showing no compassion, showing no mercy, then when we stand before the Lord, we'll not receive any mercy of him. And so we talked about how it's a boomerang effect, how if we are merciful in this life, then we will be the recipients of mercy when we stand before God. But if we exercise no mercy, then God is not obligated to show us any mercy when we answer for the life that we lived. And so that's what we talked about last week. This morning we're moving on. We're going to change gears a little bit. I'd like to begin this morning by stating something about myself that may or may not be true of you. But for me, I enjoy things that are absolute. I want it to be cut and dry. I want it to be simple. I don't want there to be any questions. I don't like there to be any ambiguity. I like things that are clear and clean and easy to distinguish. Or any of you like me in that regard, you would say, I like things that are clear and obvious and, and cut and dry, black and white. That, that's how I tend to like things to be. And as much as that's how I enjoy things, or as, as much as, as that is what I prefer, as much as I want things to be that way, here's what we know is that not everything is cut and dry, not everything is black and white. There are these areas of life that we sometimes refer to as gray areas or questionable areas, correct? All right, and so this morning, in light of that, I'm just going to present something to you. I just want you to think about it. Uh, I'm going to use myself and Susie as the example here. I figured that was the safest way to go. Uh, so I'm going to use myself and Susie in this particular example, in this particular illustration, and we're just going to see if we can make sense of this. Obviously, this morning, Susie and I are married. We've been married a little over 20 years now. And, uh, you know, it's been good, I'd say, most of the time. But uh, this morning, I want to ask you what I would have to do or, or how is it that I am able to prove my love for Susie? If I were to say to you, how am I able to prove my love for Susie or how is Susie able to prove her love for me, I think what many of us would say would be something like this, that it would be determined or it would be made manifest or it would be made obvious in our actions toward one another. Would you agree with that? 
that if I said I love Susie but the actions were not there, then you would probably, and rightfully so, question how much I really love her. If Susie said to you that she loves me, but her actions did not really manifest that expression of love, you might say to yourself, I, I don't know if Susie really loves him. So I think that we would agree, most of us would anyways, and again, rightfully so, that if we were going to express in word our love for our spouse or someone else, we would say something like this, there needs to be some actions to prove it. Is, is that fair to say? Uh, that's relatively cut and dry. That's fairly black and white for most of us. Uh, that's something that we would pretty much, for the most part, agree to. But past that, here's where it gets a little bit tricky, and maybe the color is no more black and white, but now it's more gray. And so the question would then be this. What actions have to be present then for the love to be real? If I'm going to say that I love Susie, well, then my actions need to prove it, right? If she is going to say to you maybe that she loves me, then her actions need to prove it. So the question then is this, what actions have to be done in order to prove it? This question could be asked, do I have to take her out to eat to prove that I love her? Does she have to fix my favorite meal for her to prove that she loves me? Do I have to buy her roses on our anniversary? Does she have to buy me something that I like on my birthday? Is that what I have to do? Do I have to take long walks in the park with her? Does she have to be willing to just drive around the countryside with me? Do I have to tell her she's pretty and she has to tell me I'm handsome? What do we have to do? Do I have to watch a Hallmark movie? Does she have to watch a football game? Actions prove love, but what actions prove love? That's not as cut and dry, correct? So maybe we might say something like this, well, it's a little bit of all of that. You taking her out to eat, you complimenting her, you buying her flowers, you taking her someplace, you doing this, you watching this, whatever it may be, it's all of that. Okay, so let's take it a step further. How often do I have to for it to be love? You know, if I've got to take her out to eat to prove my love for her, well, how often do I have to take her out to eat? If she has to fix my favorite meal to prove her love for me, then how often does she have to fix my, my, my favorite meal? If I have to compliment her and she has to compliment me, how often do we have to compliment each other? If I have to watch a Hallmark movie, then how often do I have to watch them? If she has to watch a football game, then how many football games does she have to watch? 
it's kind of interesting to me, maybe not to you, and I understand if it's not to you, maybe our minds just think different, but it's kind of interesting to me that I would stand before you this morning and say this, that actions indicate a person's love, but past that, it, it, it gets difficult to say, okay, what actions and how often in order for it to be real and then this really complicates the equation. Whenever you stop and realize this, you could do every bit of it and not really love the person. I could take Susie out to eat every day while telling her she's beautiful and buying her new flowers and then taking a walk in the park and going home and watching a Hallmark movie, but it doesn't really mean I love her. It's kind of complicated at times, isn't it? We want to see actions, but what actions do we have to see? How often do we need to see them? And what if the actions are done and it's not even real? It's kind of confusing. The bottom line is this, is that Susie should be convinced of my love no matter what. I need to express it in such a way that she is convinced. And she needs to express her love for me in such a way that I am convinced. And together we need to express our love for one another in such a way that if you were to watch us for very much time at all, you'd be able to say, you know, of all the things I, I think I perceive of them, I think I detect within them a real love for one another. That's something that you should be able to take away. Listen now. Listen. That is something you should be able to take away from watching us. That in mind, I want us to look this morning in chapter 2 of James and verse number 14. And James begins with the question, and he says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? It's just a simple question. What doth it profit, or what advantage does it serve, my brethren, though a man say, or though a man declare, though a man profess he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? What is James talking about? He is obviously talking about a person who makes the verbal declaration or he makes this verbal testimony of his faith or his trust or his confidence in God. And the text would lead us to, to come to this conclusion that someone would make this verbal declaration of their faith in Christ or their faith in God as their Savior. So as James writes of this individual who may make this public declaration of faith, he follows that up by saying this, can faith save him? Can faith save him? 
Now, I think all of us would immediately jump to this conclusion. Well, of course, faith can save someone. That's what the Scripture says. For by grace are you saved through faith. So, yes, faith can save him. But you have to look at that question in light of the context of verse number 14. And he's talking about the verbal declaration or this verbal testimony of faith. And, and so what I think James is really trying to convey in this question is this, is is it enough for a person to have a right relationship with God based on nothing more than their verbal declaration of faith in God and Christ as Savior? And to that question, you and I know that the answer is no. Would we agree? It is not just enough for someone to say they have faith. A verbal declaration in and of itself is not enough to save someone. Anybody can say anything they want to say just because they say it doesn't make it true. We've kind of watched that unfold in the news recently, haven't we? Just because something says something, just because someone states something and may even state it with boldness and, and, and great credibility, it doesn't mean it's so. And so if somebody is going to talk about their faith, if somebody is going to talk about their, their belief and their trust in God and Christ... What does a person generally want to see then in light of that testimony? They want to see actions. They want to see works. Well, how do we know? Look in verse number 15. James is illustrating this. I think most of us are aware of this. But he says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, just meaning they don't have their daily needs met. They, they don't have the proper clothing. They don't have the proper amount of food available to them. And he says in verse number 16, And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? What is the question? The question is this is if all you do is say to them, be warmed and filled, what good did that do? What did it accomplish? What was produced as a result of you saying, be warmed and filled? Well, the obvious answer is this. Nothing was accomplished. Are we hearing this? If you came to me and you said, Brother Kyle, I don't have adequate clothing and I'm freezing at night, and I say, well, be warmed, what good does it do? It doesn't do any good at all. If you come to me and you say, Brother Kyle, I don't have enough food to eat right now, and I said to you, okay, well, man, that's tough, be filled. What good has it done? It's not done anyone any good whatsoever. And so we understand what James is doing. He is illustrating this. So he says in verse number 18, 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, I have thy works, and, and I have works, show me thy faith without thy works, and, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In verse number 19 he says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Somebody says, well, I believe in God. James would say, fantastic. So do the devils. The devils believe in God. The devils even tremble. But just because devils believe in the existence of God and know who God is and even tremble at the mention of his name, it's pretty obvious, is it not, that the devils don't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ and in what God has done for them? Okay, so look in verse number 20. He said, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? That faith without works is dead. So what is James just saying? Very simple, very cut and dry. He is saying this, Friends, if you profess faith, but the actions are not there to support it, then your testimony of faith, it is dead. There's not much life or substance to it. There is not much credibility to it whatsoever. And I think to that statement most of us would agree, correct? I think many of us, if you're anything like me, I think many of us, we have known people, have we not, who would sound something like this, they claim to be a Christian, but you look at their life and there is nothing that would support the claim of being a true follower of Christ by way of salvation. So we would say to James and what is written, Amen, that is true, that is so, that is, that is the way that it is, that if a person has no works then their faith really has no credibility or substance to it. And while that is fairly black and white and cut and dry, then here's the question that has to be asked. If works must be present to give credibility to one's testimony of salvation, what works have to be present? That gets kind of messy, doesn't it? So I don't know what you mean. Well, let's just think about this. We're not going to be here a long time, so, so we can hold on to this for just a couple of moments. Uh, if a person is saved and they have this testimony of salvation, and we would say to James, you're exactly right, that faith without works is dead, then what works have to be present? Does the person have to attend church? in order to be saved? Does a person have to put money in the offering plate in order to be saved? Well, does a person have to be involved in some kind of ministry to be saved? Does a person have to tell others about Christ in order to be saved? Does a person have to read their Bible to be saved? Does a person have to pray in order to be saved? 
Does a person have to abstain from this in order to prove their salvation? Does a person have to engage in other things that, that would prove their salvation? Let's just be very honest. We want all these things and probably more to be in place, do we not, for us to feel comfortable with someone's testimony of salvation? I mean, if I'm honest with you, here's just what I'm going to, to admit, that if somebody says to me they're a Christian, but they have no desire to ever be in the house of God, little red warning flags begin to pop up. And I ask myself, why would somebody be a Christian and not want to be in the house of God? Somebody calls themselves a Christian and they, they, they want to identify themselves as a believer, but, but, but they don't want to be in the Word of God that God has given and preserved for them. Something's weird about that. Somebody says they're a child of God. Somebody says they're a believer, but they don't ever communicate with God in prayer. I, I, I struggle with that. Somebody says that they're a Christian and somebody identifies themselves as a believer and they, they want to say they have faith and, and, and yet they never have a burden for the lost. Something's wrong with that. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Listen, if somebody says they're saved, I want there to be certain actions that would reinforce what it is they're claiming. I want to see them in the house of God. I want to see them hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I want to see them getting things right with God. Those are things I want to see. And if you're honest, those are things you want to see. And, and if you look at somebody who claims to be saved and those things are not a part of their lives, you begin to question it, don't you? So then you have to ask this question. How much does all this have to be so in order for it to be real and credible in their life? How much does a person have to go to church to prove they're a Christian? Do they have to go once a week, twice a week, three times a week, or is once a month okay, or is twice a year okay? The Bible doesn't really tell us, right? If a person needs to read their Bible, well, how much do they have to read their Bible? Here's what it generally boils down to. It boils down to as much as what we read our Bible, and then that's okay. If, if we want to see people who pray to solidify their testimony of salvation, then how much do they have to pray? If you have to give, then how much do you have to give? If you have to be involved, then how much do you have to be involved? If you have to get right, then how often do you have to get right? It gets complicated, doesn't it? Because you can't just say, okay, well, if you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, then all the boxes have been checked, and it proves that you are truly a child of God. And then what really throws all of that into a kink is whenever you stop and realize every bit of that can be done, and the person still not be saved. You can preach and prophesy and cast out demons in his name and still here depart from me ye workers of iniquity I knew you not 
It's complicated, isn't it? James says, what does it profit? What advantage is there to, to somebody saying, I have faith? Well, can just a public declaration of faith be enough to save someone? No, it's not enough in and of itself. So what does there have to be? Well, there's got to be some actions. Okay, so what actions? And how much of those actions? And then if what in the end, what if in the end, none of that was real in the first place? We get down to this conclusion, right? You and I have no idea who is and who isn't saved. I mean, I could look at you and you could look at me and, and we could say, you know, I mean, I don't know. There's a testimony. There, there's this declaration. But at the end of the day, we don't know. But I want us to look this morning for just a couple of moments in verse number 18. Again, we're not going to be here a long time. I just want us to think about something. James said, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. James says, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. James says, I want you to show me your faith that involves zero works. Now that's hard to do, isn't it? I have no hunger or thirst for righteousness. I have no hunger or, or appetite for the house of God. I have no real appetite for the word of God. I have no real appetite for prayer to God. I have no real desire to be involved in ministry. I don't really care about lost souls. I don't really care about contributing to the local church that I'm a part of. I really don't care anything about any of that. But don't you question my faith. Well, James said, listen, if you want to try to declare your faith without your works... Here's what I will do. I will show you my faith by my works. What is he saying? He's saying this. If you'll watch me long enough, there will be enough evidence that my testimony is more than talk. If you will follow me and if you will watch me and if you will observe the way that I live my life, then what my life will show you is this, not by what I say, but by what I do and how I live, my life and my actions will show you that my testimony is authentic and genuine and real. It's kind of like this, between the relationship with Susie and I, whatever it is I need to do, whatever it is she needs to do to prove that love as we do so for one another, if you question our relationship at all, then all I should have to say to you is this, is just follow us for a little bit, and I think you'll be able to determine it's real. Well, the same should be true in our spiritual lives, in our Christian lives. James says, just follow me. 
And I think what you'll find is this, is that I can show you my faith, not by what I say, but by how I live and by what I do. This morning I want to remind us that it's important for us to have a verbal declaration of faith in Christ. That is of utmost importance that we have a verbal declaration of faith in Christ. I should be able to tell you the time, the, the, the proximity, the, the occasion in which I got saved. It doesn't have to be the exact day, but I ought to know whenever I became a new creature. And you ought to know when you got saved. You ought to be able to know something around the events that led to your salvation, you placing your faith in Christ. But friends, we've got to know this, and we've got to know this clearly, that us just claiming Christianity is not enough to prove it to anyone. And what we ought to be able to say is what James was able to say, is that if you want to show me your faith without thy works, I will show you and make known my faith by my works. You want to do yours without? I'll make my faith known by my works. All you've got to do is follow me. All you've got to do is observe me. All you've got to do is give attention to how I live my life. And you'll realize it's not just talk. It's real. It's genuine. It's, it's sincere. I wonder, I, I wonder, not making any accusations whatsoever, I just wonder, in this world that we live in, with the number of people who profess Christianity, the number of people who profess faith in Christ, I wonder if they could say to the doubter, I wonder if they could say to the skeptic, I wonder if they could say to the one questioning their faith and, and whatever issues they have, I wonder how many people could say, come on, follow me for a while, and you will see what genuine faith looks like. It won't be what I have told you. It will be what you have witnessed in me. As you watch me interact with my family, you will see how my faith completely impacts my relationship with them. As you see what I watch, as you give attention to what I listen to, as you notice what entertains me, you will or you will not see that my faith has greatly impacted it. But I wonder how many of us would be able to say what I listen to and what entertains me and what gives me joy and pleasure, it proves my sincerity and my testimony of faith. You watch my habits and you'll see a genuine faith. 
You notice what time I get up and have my devotions. You notice what time I read my Bible and how long I spend in the Word. If you'll just notice, you'll notice some sincerity about that. I wonder how many Christians could say to the skeptic or to the doubter or to the one who's got issues, listen, come on, follow me, and I'll show you what true faith looks like. Come on, spend some time with me, and you hear the way that I talk. You hear the way that I express myself. And you will hear genuine faith come from me, from my lips. Understand, James was not suggesting for a moment that he was perfect, that he had everything together. But you know what he said? He said, I can show you and I will show you my faith by my works. How many Christians today could look at the one who just has the verbal declaration maybe or the one who's got the questions and they could say, okay, come on, come on. I know there are a lot of fakes out there. I know there are a lot of phonies. I know there are a lot of frauds. I know there are a lot of people who say a lot of things. But come on, come with me and you'll see real faith. I wonder how many could say that. I wonder how many of us could invite someone into our presence and see us for who we really are and then be able to walk away and say, that person has real faith. I'm sure I've shared this story at some point in the past. It's one that kept coming to mind as I was putting this message together. But years ago, I was working for someone who I dearly love. I I love the man immensely. I love him. There's no way to put it other than this. I love the man. But he was one of the most profane, foul-mouthed, vulgar individuals you could meet. You'd sit in his office and the smoke cloud from all the cigarettes would literally just linger in the room and you would leave his office and you would smell as though you'd been in a bar for hours on end. I mean, it was, it was a horrible environment. I loved the man, though. And on my last day of work with that man, I went into his office and I said, I need to visit with you for a minute. And I called him by name and I said, Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm just telling you, I had prayed for that man. I had wept over that man's condition because I love him. And I saw a reaction from him that I had never seen before. He sat back in his chair and he kind of leaned back. And then he kind of came back toward me and he said, obviously, I owe you an apology. He said, because I do know Christ as my Savior. But obviously, my actions have not proven it. And he shared with me a little bit about his testimony. And I just want you to know I'm thankful for what he said. But you know what I still wrestle with? What he says versus how he lives. 
I'm thankful for the testimony. But we as human beings, what do we want? We want some action. I can't say what he has to do and what he can't do and what he needs to do. I just know this. I want to see something that says, Kyle, it's real. It's genuine. And I knew that man about as well as any employee could know him because of the time I spent with him. And I'm just saying, walking away from it, again, thankful for the testimony, but still these giant question marks based on action. Is it really real? I don't know. Only God knows. But he couldn't have said to me at that time, hey, walk with me and I'll show you real faith. I'm just going to ask you this morning. If you had someone who was talking it, someone who was declaring it, someone who was professing it, and they didn't have the actions, wouldn't you kind of question it? If you're honest, you would. So in light of that, how many of us would be able to say something like this? If someone wanted to see what true faith looks like, could I say to them, come on, I will show you my faith by my works. If we can't say that to people, You know what we're doing, whether we realize it or not? We're putting giant question marks in their mind about the authenticity of the testimony of faith. If we can't say to that person, come on, I'll I'll show you real faith, not arrogance, not pride, not I've got all the answers and I've got everything together, but just come on, I'll show you what real faith looks like. If we can't do that, you know what we're doing? We're making anyone who cares have giant question marks in their minds as to whether or not it's all talk or if it's real. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Do our works give confidence to those who watch? that our testimony, that our faith is real. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I pray that you'd help us to take a moment and just ask ourselves because we know we know what we're like away from this church house. We know what we're like with, with those that we are most comfortable with. We just, we know if we're honest before you what we tend to be. And Lord, it may be that some in here could say that, that they could look to that person and say, yes, follow me and you'll see genuine faith. But Lord, I just have to believe that there would be some, if they would be honest, they'd have to say, that's not what their life would show. That's not what their life would manifest or represent. Lord, would you help us to know today that people are watching and people have questions. 
And if we're not living as we ought, we are casting some serious doubt into the minds of those who are watching. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.